0: Sometimes we don't know how to think about God's will when we're trying to plan, and especially in a time when we're unable to plan. We're just living day to day. So what does the Bible teach us about that? Well, between the message today and the music, I pray that you will be blessed and you will walk away knowing a little bit better about God's will. Church family, we love you.
1: Kind.
2: When the sea is calm and all is right When I feel your favor flood my life Even in the good I'll follow you Even in the good I'll follow you When the boat is tossed upon the waves When I wonder if you'll keep me safe Even in the storms I'll follow you Even in the storms I'll follow you I believe everything that you say you are I believe and I have seen your unchanging heart In the good things and in the hardest part Well, I believe and I will follow you I believe and I will follow you I see the wicked prospering. When I feel I have no voice to sing, even in the want, I'll follow you. Even in the want, I'll follow you. I believe, I believe everything that you say you are. I believe, and I have seen. Your unchanging heart In the good of things And in the hardest part well, I believe and I will follow you I believe and I will follow you When I find myself so far from home And you lead me somewhere That I don't want to go even in my death, I'll follow you. Even in my death, I'll follow you. And when I come to win this race I've run, and I receive the prize that Christ has won, I will be with you in paradise. I will be with you. Changing heart in the good things and in the hardest part Well I believe and I will follow you I believe and I will follow you I believe I believe everything that you say you are I believe and I have seen your unchanging heart in the good things and in the hardest part well I believe and I will follow you oh I believe and I will follow you I believe and I will follow you let's pray heavenly father our good shepherd You are always faithful, and you are always leading us. So may we follow you and run this race to the end. All our days, Lord, we praise you and thank you this morning. In
1: Jesus' name, amen.
0: Good morning and thanks for joining us, whether you're a part of our church family or you're just checking us out maybe for one of the very first times. I'm really glad that you're here. Today we're going to look to God's word to answer this question, how do you respond to the will of God? Now, before we get to answering that question, let's just talk about that question, right? If you're talking about the will of God, that's not the typical verbiage that we use in asking questions about the will of God. For example, most people might say, how do I know the will of God? How do I know the will of God for my life? Some people say, how do I know if I'm in the will of God? And God's word has answers for all of those questions. But this question that we're going to address this morning is altogether different. How do you respond to the will of God? Let me put it to you this way. What do you do when God reveals through circumstances in your life that his will for you is altogether different than anything you had hoped for, planned for, maybe even prayed for, and thought was best for you? Let me give you an example that we're going through right now. Uh, Back in March, our elders held an elders meeting during which we decided to suspend in-person ministry for eight weeks uh, in light of the coronavirus pandemic. Well, guess what? This Sunday, May 17th, is Sunday number nine. What do you do when God reveals his will to be different than what you thought or had planned? And so circumstances being what they are, The elders have decided that we are going to continue to suspend in-person ministry for the time being. Why? Because God has revealed to us circumstances that were different than we thought they would have been back when we made that decision back in March. Again, the question, how do you respond to the will of God? And so to do that, we're going to go to the book of James chapter 4. James chapter four, so uh, why don't you turn there or scroll there in your Bible app, and uh, while you do that, let me give you a little bit of background, because you might think, why? why James? We haven't been in James. Well, here's why. Uh, James was an apostle, but was also the half-brother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, they both had a mother in Mary, but James's father was Joseph, where Jesus' father, as we know, was our heavenly father, God himself. James is writing this to Jewish believers who were dispersed at the time. They were scattered. Now, we don't know exactly why they were scattered, but it was probably in light of persecution. It could have been a response to the martyrdom of Stephen that you could read about in the book of Acts, or it could probably more likely be in light of the persecution that they were running from, from King Herod Agrippa I, which was happening at that time. It's actually not all that uncommon for believers to scatter, to run, literally run for their lives in order to save their lives, in order to preserve their life and to run from danger. We see that happening pretty commonly throughout church history. And so you think, okay, well, what do we have in common with these people? Well, we're not exactly like them. We're certainly not being persecuted. We're not scattered in our homes right now because of persecution. Not at all. We've not been singled out as a group, as Christians. No. But we still are scattered, and in a sense, we're scattered because the elders of our church believe that this to be in the best interest of our church family for our own safety for the time being. And so while we're not running for our lives, we are scattered, and it is for a concern of safety or of medical health. So it's not exactly like the believers who would have been receiving this letter, but it's not altogether different either. The book of James, I read through it a few times this past week in preparation. It's a phenomenal book. And James is referred to many times as the Apostle of Practical Christianity. The Apostle of Practical Christianity. You know why? Because if you were to look at James chapter 1 and then go from the first verse to the second verse, that's all it takes for James to start giving out homework. Right? Sometimes apostles, when they're writing in the, in, the, uh, in the Bible, they'll take several chapters to lay a foundation and then give you application. Not James. James has a greeting. He introduces himself. He talks to who he's writing to. Then he's like, okay, count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into various trials." He's like, get a pen. I've got homework. And you're like, whoa, slow down, professor. I, I can't keep up. He literally starts doling out homework, things to do in the second verse of his book. It's a very practical book. It's an easy book to apply. So I want to encourage you this week Take a read through the book of James. It's only five chapters. You could you could technically read the whole book every day this week if you wanted to, or read a chapter a day, whatever you want. But read it specifically asking the Lord to show you what you can apply from this book during this particular time period, this unique season of our life. And as I did that, oh my, I was underlining and circling things constantly. There is so much to be applied on any given day, but particularly in the time that we're finding ourselves in now. So consider reading through the book of James on your own. I don't think you'll be disappointed. But today we're not going to read the whole book. Today we're going to read from James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. And hey, if you're physically able, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's holy word? And just follow along silently as I read aloud from James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. This is what the word of God says. is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Go on and be seated. And so, what we're looking at here is a portion of James that I think is particularly important for us to consider today. Uh, check out verse thirteen. He starts out saying, "Come now," and uh, then in verse in chapter five, actually, he starts that chapter saying the same thing, "Come now." This is the only time in all of the New Testament that this particular Greek phrase was used, and it's really just a—it's like, "Hey, pay attention! Eyes up here." He's trying to get their attention. I think in our own home. I don't know if you have this as well with your family, but in our own home, uh, when we want to get our kids' attention, particularly if they're maybe speaking out of line or did something that we want to call to their attention, if it's one of my boys, uh, one of us will look at them and go, "Uh, sir, if it's my daughter, we'll say, ma'am. And there's just that look and that tone and that word that they know, ooh, I should probably look behind me because, oh, I probably crossed a line of some sort. And so we're lovingly calling their attention because we want to make sure that they know, ooh, you might want to watch it. I think what you're doing right now is not good. So let's just back it on up and let's move forward again. This is similar to what James is doing here. Come now, like getting their attention, saying, whoa. Hey, listen, come now, you who say, that's like you guys who are saying, actually, it's you who tend to say. So this isn't something that he's just calling to their attention because they said it one time. He kind of overheard in some conversation. No, he's saying, you who tend to think like this, you who tend to say these things. Come now, you who say, or you who tend to say, today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. And so here's the first point that I want to call to your attention. Make plans, do make plans, but never without acknowledging God's will over it all. Oh, the Bible has nothing against making plans. In fact, you could read through, particularly through the book of Proverbs, and learn a lot about what God thinks of thinking ahead, of forecasting, of thinking for the next people who are going to come up, of thinking for, of your children's children. There's plenty to say about making plans. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But here's what you need to understand. You alone, even if you wrote the plan, you alone are unable to cause your plan to come to fruition. You need your plans, your best laid plans to fall within the will of God. Here's a couple of reasons why you're unable to make that come to pass. Uh, For the first thing, uh, you are far too impotent to make your plan come to fruition. You say, that made me feel awkward. It shouldn't. The word impotent just means powerless or uh, unable to take effective action. You're far too helpless, far too powerless to make your plan come together on its own. Earlier in the book of James, if you read through it this week, you're going to see in James chapter one, verse 17, these words, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of lights, of whom there is no variation or shadow of change. Every good gift comes from above. Now, you, you change all the time. Me, I change all the time. People even who say that they're averse to change, we just tend to change. We change as we age. We change as we think different thoughts. We change as we learn from past mistakes and try not to repeat them. And sometimes we change for the better, and sometimes we change for the worse. God never Changes his word never changes, right? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever and is unchanged. And God, our unchanging God, he's the one who wants all the credit and all the glory that is due his name for every good gift and every perfect gift that comes to you and comes to me, even if it was our plan coming to fruition. I mean, if you think about it, look at other areas of the Bible that I've put in your outline. Consider what the psalmist says in Psalm 85 and verse 12. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Uh, So a farmer, for example, saying, you know what, our land's gonna yield increase. But only if the Lord gives what is good, only if the Lord causes enough rain, only if the Lord causes enough sun, only if the Lord causes the soil to be rich in the nutrients that are necessary to produce increase. There is so much here riding on the Lord that if there's any increase that comes as a result of our work, it's because he has given what is good. Consider what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, verse 7, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? He's saying, everything you have, you've been given. You've not, you can't take credit for what you have and say, oh, I achieved this. Certainly not your salvation. Certainly not any spiritual uh, gift that you have. What do you have that you didn't freely receive? And if you have received it, he says, Why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Like, why do you act as if you brought this goodness about in your life? And so it's important that we remember that we are supposed to make plans, but never apart from understanding we need these plans to fall into the sovereign goodwill of our great God for them to come to fruition. Because we're powerless to make it happen on our own. It's not only that we're powerless, but we're also far too ignorant. We just don't know all the things that we need to know to make our plans come to fruition. We don't have all the understanding of all the different circumstances that could be going on in our life. I mean, if you think about it, every time you check your phone and you check the weather app, that's a reminder to you that you're ignorant. (laughs) You don't know. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know how to plan. And so you take out your phone and you check the weather app. And even then, uh, if you're anything like me, how many times have we stood by the window and seen 0% chance of rain for the next three hours and we're watching rain fall on our front lawn, right? Even then, the thing is wrong, okay? We as a people, just generally speaking, We're far too ignorant. We don't know all the things that we need to take into consideration, and we could never have control of all of those things as we want to cause our plans to come together. James is basically saying, wow, you're speaking with a ton of certainty. A ton of certainty about the following year of your life when you didn't even know what tomorrow will bring. And then he says, right here, uh, look at verse 14. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. It, literally, you are uh, like smoke that just appears for a little bit of time and then all of a sudden it disappears. He's saying, that's your life. And you're talking about a year of your life with so much certainty when in reality you have very little. In fact, you have no control over what tomorrow will bring or over other circumstances that are in your life. Because your life, it's a mist. It's a vapor. It's like a puff of smoke. It's here and it's gone tomorrow. And you say, quite frankly, that's kind of depressing. It's, it, it's actually not depressing. It's not saying we're, we're worthless It's not saying anything. It's not saying that we have no value. It's just saying that our life is is just that quick and that passing. And it highlights our need for God to bless and to work through any plans that we set. And so make your plans, but never apart from acknowledging the fact that we need God to work. And we hope and pray that these plans fall into his will. Uh, Point number two, set your goals. It's nothing wrong with setting goals, love setting goals, set your goals, but beware of the evil. Yes. Evil idea of reaching them on your own apart from God. Now uh, skip down to verse 16, uh, verse 16. James says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Now I can actually remember one of the first times that I read this phrase and I thought, wow, all such boasting is evil. Wow. Wow. That's that's like it's a bit much, Jimmy. Right? Like I can see it as being ignorant. I can see it as being stupid. I can see it as being arrogant. Evil—that's a bit of a stretch. And so you study your Bible. You do a word study. The word that is used there, translated as evil, is actually used in other portions of Scripture to refer to Satan. So nothing was lost in translation. This is what James meant when he said uh, all such boasting is evil. And you need to know that God's word says, not your plan, not your goals, but the the very notion that you can reach them on your own is actually evil. Yes, evil. So let's just take a look at the plan that these people were making, or this this hypothetical plan, this example that James is giving us in James chapter 4 and verse 13. Uh, take a look at that. It says today or tomorrow. So they're setting their own time, right? We will go into such and such a town. So they're setting their own place, right? Their own time, their own place. They say, and spend a year there. So they're setting their own duration. How long is going to take them to to reach their goal and trade? They're they're setting their own business venture, what they're going to do and make a profit. So they're even saying, and we know how this is going to end. Now, There's nothing wrong with the plan in and of themselves. But you notice, do you see a a contingency plan there? No. No. Why? Well, they're just pretty sure they're going to nail it. Do you see any mention of God in that plan at all? No. Why? They're going to nail it right? They're fully confident, fully content in their own abilities, their own skills, their, their own plans, their own goals. And they're saying, yeah, no, we're just going to, we're just going to do this. This is how it's going to turn out. And we're going to, we're kind of going to nail it. It's not what they want to do. That's evil. It's not their profit motive. That's evil. Not at all. It's the fact that their plan is godless, godless, nothing wrong with setting goals, these are probably very good and worthy goals. That's fine. But their plan in and of itself is godless. They've forgotten the fact that they are helpless to be able to cause these things to come together. They've forgotten the fact that they don't know what tomorrow will bring. They don't know what's going to happen in people's lives if people are going to want to trade. But they're so, so confident, so arrogant in and of themselves that they're just like, yeah, it's going to work. Uh, we've thought about it. We've, we've, we've planned for this so we understand that this is going to work. And so that's what it says, verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. They're arrogant because they're just fully confident in their own abilities and their own planning. And all such boasting is evil. Let me ask you a question. Who's the original arrogant, godless boaster himself? The answer is Satan we don't have time to to go there, but if it's in your outline, Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 and following, you said in your heart, speaking of Satan, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the Mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Now, It's certainly not exactly the same. But if you wrote down the things that Satan said and the things that are said right here in James chapter 4, you would realize there's some similarities here. I will. Here's what we're going to do. It's going to work out. This is what I want, and this is what I'm going to get. Godless boasting. The Apostle James tells us all such boasting is evil. Set your goals, make your plans. But never thinking that you, in and of yourself, have the ability to reach them and never doing it apart from a knowledge of the fact that I need God's blessing. I need to know that this falls into God's holy will for my life, for the life of my family, for my business, whatever. It's not good enough that I've just made my plans and that I've set my goals. And finally, point number three, work your plan. Work your plan, acknowledging it's entirely dependent upon God's will before, during, and after. You see, in verse 15, James 4 15, James doesn't say, instead, you ought to not plan. He doesn't say that at all. He doesn't say, instead, you ought to just sit back and relax and just watch things happen, watch life unfold. No, he doesn't say that at all, because that's not what God wants us to do. Verse 15, look at it. It says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills, acknowledging, uh, first of all, if the Lord wills, we will live, that our life, our very lives are in God's hands. The the number of our days, our span of life has been set by God himself. So if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or that that. It's an acknowledgement as we plan that we care very much about what the Lord wills. And we understand that if he doesn't will this to come to pass, it's not going to come to pass. And so Christians plan, but the will of God is central to it all. And in your outline, I put in several examples from the scriptures of how Christians plan, but still acknowledge God's will. Acts uh, chapter 18, verse 21. But on taking leave of them, he, Paul, said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. Uh, He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 19, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. He has a desire to come to them soon and to spend time with them if the Lord wills. Later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 7. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. Oh, I stopped right here as I I, I was doing my sermon prep this week and realized, oh, wow, it's not the exact same thing. But how many of us want to spend time with each other but not just in passing? We want to spend quality time with each other. We want to visit family that we've been unable to visit, particularly if you have a loved one who's uh, in some sort of a care facility or a nursing home or senior living, and the closest you've been able to come to them is through a glass window. And I, we, we, this struck a chord with me like it never has before. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you. I think we all can think of people that we would hope to spend some time with. But then he finishes by saying, if the Lord permits. Writer of Hebrews says, this we will do if God permits. Peter says in First Peter chapter 3, and verse 17, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And so you see that Christians plan, Christians desire, we're not afraid to say, this is how I want things to happen in my life. And I'm, I'm kind of setting things up so they happen this way. But we always say, if the Lord wills. We know that his plan is infinitely better than my plan. So then where our plans differ, we realize his plan from the beginning of the earth, from the foundations of the earth, is infinitely better than what I have sketched out, what I have prayed through, what I have prepared as God reveals his will for my life, in my life, as it happens. And then when things don't go according to our carefully crafted plans, when we have planned something but all of a sudden circumstances come up and they cause our plans to not come to fruition or they cause us to have to replan or start from square one, we're certainly disappointed. Uh, we're certainly sad. It's certainly a struggle. But we can rest. We can rest in knowing that God's plans have never changed and will never be thwarted. My plan is changing for sure. But this is all part of God's gigantic redemptive plan for all of His creation, for all of His children. Nothing has changed. Uh, he's not had to make His plan in erasable ink. He's not going back and rewriting anything. I am now rewriting my plan according to His plan as he 's revealed his will through circumstances that are coming into my life and into your life, uh, we see this in the book of Romans, where uh, I mentioned this several weeks ago through another in another sermon where Paul says, "I desire greatly to be with you he 's talking to the church at Rome. I want to spend time with you uh, Romans one verse Ten, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Meaning, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. I'm, I, I'm asking, please, God, make it your will. At last, I might succeed. But He acknowledges God's will. He's not just saying, I just, I just can't win for losing. Like, like he, he's not saying that. He's saying it's obviously been not God's will for me to come this far. I'm gonna keep trying. I'm going to keep praying. I want to spend this time with you. He ends his letter, or towards the end of his letter, Romans chapter 15 and verse 32. So that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. He's always mentioning God's will. And as we know from Paul's life, he never makes it there. He never gets to spend that time with them. The only time he gets to spend there is very close to his death, to his martyrdom. Uh, You remember from the book of Job, chapter 42 and verse 2, he says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. This is a man, Job, this guy, am I right? Like if you look at what happened in his life and all the circumstances that befell him that he could have never seen coming for him to be at the point where he says, you know what? I know that God can do all things and that none of his purposes can, can ever be thwarted by any circumstance or by anything that would happen in this world. And so what I've done is I've come up with this uh, little five-step outline, formula, float chart, whatever you want to call it, that's also in your outline as to how I think Christians should prepare and should plan in the will of God. Um, And so step number one is prepare in prayer prepare in prayer. So we're setting out to make a plan, right? And the first thing we want to do is say, okay, Lord, I'm going I'm to make my plan. I, I want to make a plan, but I need your help. I need your wisdom. I need your insights in order for me to do this in a way that is pleasing to you. Please help me as I seek to plan. And so we start by preparing in prayer. The next step is we plan, and I just said plan in pencil. So we plan as much as we want. We can make as much details as we want in our plan. Find a goal, reverse engineer. What do we need to do to get to that goal? That's all good and well, and there's nothing bad in and of itself by doing that. But do it in pencil. And what I mean by that is not literally do it in pencil. I actually never do it in pencil. I always use a pen. I use a fountain pen. It's my effort to be more like Steve Barnett and Josh Lewis. But what I'm saying is plan with the mentality that... This might be changed along the way. This might be changed along the way because I'm doing my best, but I certainly don't know all the details. I don't know all the circumstances. I can't see the future. And so I'm doing this plan, but I'm, I'm well aware that this is going to probably change as we go. Prepare in prayer, plan in pencil, and then pray for prosperity. Pray that God would now take this plan and cause it to be prosperous, cause it to work. Pray that God would help you reach your goal. And you look to the Lord and you say, I've, I've done my best. I've outlined what I think it should look like. Everything that I could think of. Now, Lord, I need you to bring these to fruition. I need you to help me get to where I want to get for myself, for my business, for my family, whatever. I need you. You prepare in prayer. You plan in pencil. You pray for prosperity and then you perform your part you do your thing what is your goal what do you what do you have to do in, in order to make this succeed what what's it up what's up to you you certainly play a part in this so what do you have to do you you do your thing you perform your part and then you praise him for his providence you might say but what if i don't reach my goal like, I'm, I was with you through all those steps, right? Prepare in prayer, plan in pencil, pray for prosperity, perform your part. I get it. But why would I praise him for providence? Like, doesn't that, that depends on what he provides, right? Like, I'll praise him if we reach the goal. But if I don't reach the goal, there's, there's nothing to praise. And if that's your mentality about your plan, you probably have a wrong view of what it means to understand if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. See, I'm challenging you to, yes, prepare in prayer, plan in pencil, pray for prosperity, perform your part, but to praise him for his providence, whatever he provides, to say, you know what? There's no such thing as plan B with God. Uh, It's all his sovereign will. It's all his plan. My plan might need to change, but whatever he provides, whatever he brings about is the important thing and is the better thing. And this is the question that I would like to leave you with as we close today. Does God have editing rights to your plan? What about you? Does God have editing rights to your life? I mean, you think about when you share a document or a file on Google Drive or Dropbox or something like that, you can share it a number of different ways. You can share it as, as, and let people view, right? Hey, I'm sharing this for you as a viewer. I want you to see what I've come up with. That's fine. I think some people share their plans with God. They want him as a viewer, right? I want you to. Hey, I want you to see what I've planned, right? Want you to want you to see what I've planned. Here's what I've got. I just want you to see it. Uh, you can even you can even share your plan and ask for suggestions. Ask for you, you can have the person be a collaborator or a contributor. So yeah, I'd love to see what you think of my plan. Like make suggestions, but I reserve the right to accept or reject those suggestions. Right? So yeah, I'd love for you to hear, Lord, I'd love for you to see my plan. Would love for you to take a look at it. Um and and if you have any suggestions, you've got some input, I'd I'd be open to that too, of course. Um but I I will accept or reject all the suggestions because it's ultimately my plan. Or it's when you look to God and you say, okay, here's my plan. Here's what I have. I want you to edit it as we go. I want you to edit it as we go. I've worked hard. I've worked very hard. I've prayed. I've sought counsel from other people. I've taken notes. I've erased. I've redone. This is my plan. But I want you to have the editing rights to edit as we go because I firmly believe that any one of your edits is obviously going to be an improvement because God's will is better than mine because God can take all things into consideration, because God knows all things. He's in control of all things. And so if God wants to make an edit to my plan, it's always going to be an upgrade. Does God have editing rights to your life? And all illustrations break down at some point, right? Like you say, God's actually the author of my plan. I know, but he allows us to participate. He allows us to plan. And does God really need editing rights to your life or can't he just do whatever he wants to do? Of course, he doesn't need he's not sitting up in heaven with his hands tied behind his back saying, "Oh, I I I hope that they allow me to change their life." No, he's not he's not waiting for permission. It's just an illustration. But here's what I would like you to see, that if you're holding your plan so closely to you, it's mine. It's what I've come up with. It's what I think is going to be best. This is how it's going to work. This is how we're going to roll. And when God wants to make an edit and he has to fight it and wrestle you and take it out of your white-knuckled grip for him to make an edit, he's always going to get it, right? Like you never win in a wrestling match with God. But it's going to hurt a lot more if he has to take it out of our white-knuckled grip versus if we just say, it's yours. You have editing rights to my Life. You have editing rights to my plan. These pages are not empty. I've made my plan. I like my plan. But I want you to be the editor of my life plan. Friends, these are the most uncertain times that we could ever be in. I can't think of a single other time throughout history that I'm aware of that the entire, virtually the entire world is going through the same thing. It looks a little different here and a little different there. But virtually the entire world is going through the same thing at relatively the same time. And none of us know what to do. Right? Like, pastoring through pandemics was not a class that was ever offered to me. Right? There was never a breakout session at any conference that I've been to that I saw that and thought, Nah, I don't want to go to that. No one could have planned for this. But it's not just hard on pastors. You've also never never read a book or a blog post on parenting through pandemics. Right, running a business through pandemics, being a restaurant owner through a pandemic. This is, these were never taught. These are books that were never written. These are uncertain times for all of us. And so as we consider this, we have to say, does God have editing rights to my life? As we work through this time, and we really don't know what God's will is for our lives right now, but we'll know it when we see it. And so does God have editing rights to your life, to your plan, or is it something that you hold close and you say, you know what, you can watch me, watch my plan unfold. You can make suggestions to my plan that I'll, I'll take as we go. Or do we just say, it's yours. The plan is yours. Everything I've written is yours. Everything I've come up with is yours. Because instead of just clutching to our plan, we ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And so, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. By God's grace, In accordance with God's word, let's go forward from this day and say, Lord, if you will, if it's your will, I will do what I have in my plans. But I give you the editing rights to my life, to my plan, firmly believing that whatever edits you make are improvements because you're God and I'm not. Father in heaven, we are grateful that you are on the throne, that you're ruling, that you're reigning, that anything that's happening in our life is not outside of your control, that you are not pacing, you are not worried, you are not surprised by anything. And so, Lord, we remember that you are good Lord, you did not uh, hold back your own son from us, but gave him up for us all. How will you not along with our Savior also freely give us all things? Of course you will. Of course you know what is best. Of course we want you to edit the plans that we come up with for your glory and for our good. Help our hearts get there. It makes sense. It makes sense. We know that we should do this, We know what your word says, but help our hearts and our minds to get there. Grant us repentance. Grant us the ability to change and to grow in these important areas of our lives during these very difficult times. Would you continue, Lord? We say, lead on. Lead on, O King Eternal. We don't know where you're going. We don't know how you're leading, but we know you very well well, and so we're happy to follow. Do that for us, for our good and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Our guide
2: through the wilderness, our joy in the heaviness, and our way when it seems there is no way. We trust You. We trust You. Your ways are higher than. many things that we don't know, but we know that our God is steady, he's powerful, and he loves us so we can trust him.